There we go. Always got that reverb sound here. Yes, I am. I'm on. I was on before I turned the mic on, so I'm still good here. Amen. <laughs> um, so the title of this message this morning is Ministry, Loving People and Building Relationships. I felt like the Lord had put this on my heart probably a couple weeks ago. I was sitting with somebody uh, in breakfast, um, <clears throat> and I'm finding as a pastor, I got to minister of some sort, I got to be careful because there's a good opportunity to gain weight through um, ministry, I guess. You know, you wouldn't think that that's the way it works, but it does here, I guess, in, in our culture. But anyway, while I was spending that time with this individual, I just felt like the Lord had put on my heart after leaving that time that ministry is building relationships. And <clears throat> I just kind of piggybacking a little bit on last Sunday and just that the term that we've been hearing quite a bit, and at least it's been sticking in my ears, is that um, we are disciples making disciples. And so we're not just about trying to bring people into a church community. We're about bringing people to know Christ. And the wealth of our relationship with the Lord should be bringing that into somebody else's life. And if that's the case, then probably there's a whole lot of us that just feel like our spirit is stirred and we're drawn by the Lord to be an extension of His ministry. Like Jesus is basically taking and using your body, your hands, your feet, and whoever you are to be a part of somebody else's life. And I think that's why He invites His peace, His joy, His victory in us, is because we need from a point of victory to be able to minister to other people. And so there's some things that just out of that that's been on my heart that I've been thinking about, spending some time while we were in Boise this last week, spending some time with family, and just getting to see other people. Um, and I just feel like there's just been a wealth in my life that I have enjoyed uh, new relationships, new opportunities to share with somebody. Uh, a brother-in-law that was... I had his focus. He's been in the National Guard. I believe it was what he's in. The National Guard. And he shared this with me in a conversation. Really stirred my heart. Last time I talked to him, I wasn't sure that he had in mind to really serve the Lord. And he was ready to go in the National Guard and move on to the medical uh, field. And then he shared with me just recently, he's been thinking about um, going into Boise Bible College and maybe pursuing ministry. And, you know, that just another step in that direction. And I'm just thankful for these opportunities to hear and be a part of. And sometimes I don't know what part I've played in um, that influence in that life. But I know I was trying to draw in that direction. And so, you know, you, you walk away sometimes feeling like there was this hopelessness and then see, you know what, maybe the Lord's doing more and I need to regain that ground and hope and joy in it. So here's a few thoughts I want to bring to you. Turn with me to Psalm 86, um, verses 15, verse 15. And I just want to talk, first of all, about some basic principles to live by. When we're thinking about ministering to others, I want to take a few of these basic principles that God has given us and remember these as we go forward into our community and our families and we take time to minister to those around us. Praise God. Psalm 86. Verse 15. But you, O Lord, are God full of compassion, gracious, 
long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and in truth. I've heard this saying, and maybe I've even said it at times. I think I have. Um, it's Love is just telling the truth. And I believe there is a truth to that, but I also have seen people who they totally uh, move away from the attitude of compassion and care for another individual. And the whole objective is just to pound them with the truth of God's word. And sometimes, and what I'm beginning to realize more and more is that people respond to others that have showed compassion and care and graciousness to their life. There's one reason why somebody might choose you over another person, and partly that will be the truth that you share with them, but the other part of that will be the compassion and the care that you bring into the field of their life. And I don't know about you, but I know that there's a lot of people in our world that basically don't have anybody, not even in their own homes, where their story matters, what they're going through matters, or they don't feel like it matters. And, and I remember I was this week, I, I, uh, <laughs> I was returning to a job site just to pick up a water bottle that we had left. And the guy, the gentleman that's there, I really enjoy spending time with him. And he believes in the Lord, but I just don't know the depth of his Christian life. But I would say that I spent, I think it was probably a good four hours um, in exchange and conversation. And this, this gentleman had shared with me that um, he, was, he moved to the area wondering what God would have for him here. And then he expressed that his wife was in need of help. And so he struggled with like church community and stuff because of some things like that. And I, uh, I shared with him, I said, you know, the support is really the support in Jesus' ministry. Sometimes that's coming to church. But in other ways, there is a way that you can give of yourself within the limitations that you experience. And you can give yourself within that limitation. And I was just talking to him and I said, you know, the one thing that I recognize in you is that you have a heart to talk. But there's something that's very caring and enjoyable about being in your presence. And so, you know, and I shared with him, from my perspective, people just need to know that there's others out there that care. And he, and he shared some of his own stories and experiences kind of in that direction. And, you know, the truth is, is that you can do that right on your own phone. You don't have to leave your uh, living room in order to do that. And so some of us that are physically disabled or not capable of moving beyond our house still have a phone that we can reach out to people. And we really should feel the desire for that. When we think of there's a lot of people that they've heard the gospel and they're hardened toward the gospel, but why? It's because behind the scenes of that, they can say, nobody in the church community has visited me. Or it's been weeks or months before anybody reached out to me. <clears throat> and if you leave that just on, say, the pastor's shoulders, you know that people are, there's going to still be tons of people that are never going to be reached. But Jesus didn't give that commission to just a pastor or a minister. He gave that to his body, to his people, to be the extension of his hands and his feet to everybody around us. And so some of the other principle, another principle that I think is really important, besides just the compassion and the heart to just minister to somebody, Micah said that I think it was his grandmother, that she had the gift of just showing up. And honestly, I think that if we just had that gift, you wouldn't even have to say anything. People would spill their hearts. Their tears would flow. The hardship of their life would be there. You would be meeting people in the middle of their tragedy 
and you wouldn't even say anything. And if you left having said nothing, the fact that you were there and the care that you gave in those moments, I will bet that they will have felt that Jesus ministered to them just because your presence was there. Basically, they got to empty themselves out on you. And there's nowhere else in the world where they can do that. And so sometimes just being an ear. And so here's the second principle in this is a principle to live by is be quick to listen. In James, it says to us, it says, be slow to speak, slow to anger, but quick to listen. And so in in part of listening, and, and this is something that's really important and becoming more and more important in my life, is somebody shares or I, I detect in a conversation with them, there's something that's amiss. I don't know what it is, and it's almost like they're too general to be able to let me know, or they're afraid to say anything. I had somebody sharing with me not too long ago about a situation in their life, and they said, this was way back in my past, but it's still bothering me today. And I, I said, you know what, let's, let's just talk about that. Is it something that's harmed somebody else? And they said, no. <clears throat> Is it something that's still bringing, uh, is it something that you need to restore to somebody else? No. It's just something that I feel guilty for, for my past. And what I did in that conversation is just take time to listen and also dig out a little bit more information so that whatever I'm going to say or whatever I'm going to do is actually going to be helpful in their scenario. And sometimes we only glean just the generalities and the general information out of people, and we really don't know what's really going on. And sometimes it's so deep that they're struggling to be able to tell you and not say. And I'm just thankful that God would let me be that one ear. And you know, and this is the thing most of the time, and how many of you out there really love to be the one-on-one person? Like if you're sharing or talking to somebody, you're one-on-one. Is there anybody out there? We got a couple out there. Amen for that, right? You're probably the introverts of the family, right? You're like, I'm not usually the social person and really like get in a crowd and get to talking. But I love the depth of relationship, and that's me. And so when I get one-on-one with somebody, and I see that that's what those people need. Now, not everybody needs that, but there's the time when it's a really deep thing, they're not going to share that with an audience. Just Let's just say that. How many of you are going to share the deep, deep things in your life with an audience of people, right? I'm seeing, I'm looking for hands. Any hands out there? Just not seeing any hands. Did, did you hear me? Did I speak loud enough? The truth is, is that none of us want to share those things with, but with one intimate and very close friend or somebody that we feel that we just can't, we don't have to be casual with. And when that's that person, you want to make sure you give them the time of the day. You really want to give them the time of the day. And sorry, my schedule, then forget it. You know, like if we got a schedule, forget it. But if we're like, wait a second, you know, whatever my schedule was, Lord, help me figure out a way to rearrange that. You need some time. Or this is the way I do it. And I just create a new time for it. What's a time that works for you? What's a time that will work for me so that you and I can get together and you can just share what's going on in your life? And you know, some of the tears of ministry come through listening to people's stories. When you get to hear some of the things, and not only that, but they're your brothers and sisters. And you're like, Lord, I know they love you and they still have faith in you, but they've gone through some hard things. You know what the hardest thing for me to hear? 
hardest thing for me to hear behind the background and the scene of somebody's life is to ask, when I ask this question, does anybody walk through this with you? Do you have a friend or somebody? And to hear them say no. That's devastating to me. And I think that's why Jesus has us on the scenes because we're like the EMTs, the, the spiritual EMTs of God's kingdom. And it's like you're not going for people who are feeling well. You're going for people who are feeling sick. And how hard is it when we're spiritually downcast ourselves to do something for somebody else? And so we just got to be good listeners. And sometimes that's the ministry, really. How many ladies out there would say, I just like somebody to listen? I like people listen. I'd like to see some hands, ladies out there, okay? We just want your vote. There they are. Amen. We want to hear some listening. And you know, especially from our men and our husbands, would you just please listen? We're the guys, we're men, and we want to help you out, right? <laughs> the best thing we can do is listen. And men, we, we got good, we've gotten good in our marriage of listening. We got some talk back there. We get good in our marriage of listening. We'll be good with souls in listening too. Amen. So um, also, as I just said, ask the right questions. You know, sometimes we just don't ask the right questions. We ask questions, but we don't ask the right questions. And sometimes we're trying to point to the truth before we really know what the problem is. And, and we're like already assessing. And I'm more guilty of that probably than anybody. I'll have a situation and I hear somebody for about five minutes and I've already assessed the situation and boom, I'm giving you an answer. And it's just not good enough. And most of us are sitting there saying, if you would just listen and ask the right questions, um, that would be more important. And don't be afraid to let somebody share their doubts with you, especially if they're close. Like even members of my home, I was sharing this with my uh, one of my sons this week. I was like, I want you to be able to share. If you don't see things my way, I want you to be able to tell me that. And I want it to be a good situation, a healthy one with that conversation. And so sometimes we're trying to just push our beliefs and say, do this, believe this, stand on this, and all of that. And really, the truth is, is you're like, you're not really listening to me. And that becomes the bigger block to the truth we're trying to share. Um, and then again, I already said this, but I put an exclamation mark on it. An exclamation mark is care. Learn to equalize love and truth. You know, the Bible doesn't speak of one greater than the other. But I see people do that. I see us. We're all about the truth. We're truth tellers. We're Bible preachers. We're strong about that. But we're not good at the love side of it. And then you have others that are like, we're the compassion and the love. And we're there to meet people in their needs. But we don't share the gospel. We don't give them the word of God. And what we need is both of these to come together and mend our relationships and help us move forward in whatever ministry God is calling us to. And while I'm at that point, I just want to say this to those of you who feel like you don't have the gift to be an evangelist or the gift of ministry or, or whatnot. I think the reality is this. Do you have people in your lives, that your family and those things? And all of us say yes to that. That's your ministry. And then there's going to be strangers and there's going to be people around you, but um, the people and the folks that are right here, there's others that can't be here today, but they are part of our hearts. So God forbid that there's somebody in our church, um, not just for me, but especially for me, that there's somebody in our church that's experiencing a difficulty, a hardship, a spiritual uh, darkness in their life, and I have no clue. And I have no clue. But God forbid that you should have no clue as well. 
that in this community of loving brothers and sisters, that we have a deep connection and want to know. And the best thing we can do, and I'm learning this as an introvert, if you're good at learning to speak to people, that's beautiful. And so in that way of just ask them this simple question, how are you doing? But listen, just catch. Are they kind of hesitant in some of it? Is it, yeah, well, it's been okay. Doesn't that clue you in? It's like, well, it's not great, right? So because it's not great, I need to ask further questions. Well, share with me a little bit more what you mean by it's just okay. Dig a little bit because you care. Don't dig because you're trying to find gossip, but because you care. Amen. So another thought behind this of uh, loving people and building relationships is relationships have tension, <laughs> right? No matter where you go, you have tension. And we struggle that within even our own homes. As Christian as we are and as much as we love Jesus, we always have those moments in our own homes and sometimes it's harder there than it is anywhere else. And I know that I've, I've loved going to work and just working with men that are separate from my personal life because nothing's personal anymore. And so you can just work and enjoy the time that you have, encourage one another. And you know what? And there's a diversity there. There's such a diversity that it's like, Satan is deeply in your life, and yet somehow I'm able to work together with you because we're not um, pounding one another on a personal basis. And what you find in that environment, and this is the reason I love the workforce, is because people in their life are struggling in their relationships and the tensions in their marriage, and they look at you and they probably think, you have no issues whatsoever. And they're just grateful to look at somebody, but they also want to hear from you. They want to know what's the secret to your relationships. And you're like, well, I'm not perfect. That's fine. But they need, they, that's not what they care about. They're wanting to know, what do you know that I don't know? And at times I remember I've encouraged somebody and said, you know what, just go back and love. And find that, you know what, I took them on a date, I brought flowers. I never did that. And you know what? The whole thing that we were in contention about ended the moment I brought flowers home. And that was from the guy's perspective. And so I love being able to minister that to somebody's life and then hear them report back to me. And so relationships have tensions. Go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 52 and 53. This is Jesus' take on relationships. He says, from, from here there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. And the father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. How many of us in our family situations, see this very clearly. And, and we do. And that's why with those tensions, Jesus wants to do his ministry. Some of us are just trying to pray, Lord, just take it away. And he's really like, would you just let the fire be all around you and let me work through you anyway? And so those those are things we have to realize is Jesus isn't just taking away the tension. In the midst of the tension, he's calling us to live 
his example, to follow in his footsteps. So one of the things that I notice in the tension of relationships is what I will call subjectivity. Subjectivity means it's a, it's, it has to do with me or the person themselves. So um, that goes together with our personal experience, our personal tragedy, our personality, our own individual character. Um, all of these pieces and parts and many more kind of define us as whatever it is in my life and how it's affected me. All of us know we've all had different experiences. All of us had different home growing up and situations in life, some with very dark situations, some with very beautiful, wonderful testimonies of what it was like to grow up in your home. And yet in all of that, that's shaped the subjectivity, how you view your world and what you do with that, and especially what you believe about God. And so now we're just basically realizing that the way I view things and the way you view things may be drastically different, even based upon what we see in Scripture. But even beyond that, just the way we handle things in life, stress around us, and it's all very different from one person to the next. Well, when it's different, that's when we usually have conflict. Because I feel like I can be at peace with this, and you're constantly stressed out about this, and we're trying to learn to make life work together. And it can be in a work environment. It can be right now in our own home. And because of that, what we're mostly dealing with generally is not what is the truth about the situation, but it, what it is is how you feel about the situation. And that's monstrous because it's like can, at some point the feelings are actually dictating how you're going to live, what you're going to do, and how you're going to respond to the situation. Even as men, we like to think that we don't have feelings and we don't make choices based on our feelings. But I watch men get angry and then do some very atrocious things through their anger. So because of that, what's really important is to realize they're not the same subject that you are. And because I know my wife is very much different than me, I have to see her from her perspective and her point of view. And so learning to get to know someone is kind of the central side of that. Learning to respect their differences and also reflect on their difference and see what you can do to work with them. You know, each of my children are going to be very different than me also. And so learning to see their differences and really rejoice in those differences. Thank goodness that not the whole world looks like me and acts like me and does things like me. Because I need somebody to help me. I need somebody that can say, you know what, you're missing the mark here. I also need many other things besides. But just learning to get to know someone is never a waste. The time you take to get to know somebody is never a waste. And our best relationships are people we know the best, right? And so the people we love the most are the people that we're the closest to. And, you know, I was at a funeral one time, and I was, I was sharing a guy sharing about the guy that I had known. And what I had said was, in such a short time, it seemed like that I had learned stuff about him that nobody else knew. And that told me something about my relationship and how he viewed me. When somebody's going to share something so personal that they're not going to share that with the broad company of other people, that means they have a special way of looking at you. And those are the relationships we want to continue to cultivate in our lives. And so you can do this with a perfect stranger because a lot of people are just want to share their story 
And if you're an open ear, they'll share things with you. And the more you have a heartfelt care for them and they sense that, the more open they're going to be with you. And the more you truly know someone, the better informed you are and will be to minister to them. Just the more we know of them, the better informed we're going to be. And so a perfect stranger, I don't know you. I'm sorry. And I really don't know how to minister to you. But the more I get to know you, the easier it's going to be. And then there's the other side in our relationship tensions and subjective truth. And um, I was listening to a debate on this. I really liked it. He was talking about subjective means it has to be, it starts with me. It's how I view things and how I see things. But objective truth is a truth that's outside of you that's true regardless of how you feel about it, regardless of how you look at it, and that's objective truth. And really, this is what I call the game changer, is objective truth. When people stop submitting just to the feeling and they look at the real truth of the situation around them, then they can gain in victory. And listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 32. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And so that's the difference in our lives. And we're going to face a whole world of people who they might be atheists, they might be um, believers, but they've got some unique and weird ideas that really don't fit biblical context. And you're going to face those all over the place. And so when we are talking to them, we realize that at some point, unless they see the truth, that's not about the way they view it and about the way they feel about it, but the way Jesus intended for them to see it and know it, when they finally get to that place, they'll gain victory and momentum in their life and actually know what it means to have a deep relationship with God. The problem with the word or even the phraseology of relationship with God is generally the struggle with that is that it's your perception of the word of God when it doesn't line up with the actual intention of Scripture. And see, my heart is broken because as a minister, I'm supposed to be moving in the direction of hermeneutics and how to interpret the Scripture based on basic laws of interpretation. For one of them, just to give an idea here, one basic law of interpretation, or what is a principle of interpretation, is that you've got to interpret it based on its context. So, for instance, I began to tell you about putting together a sprinkler system and how all that goes together. And the next I hear you rebuking me for um, my mentality behind a wiring, uh, electrical wiring in a house, I would be going, what is wrong with you? You totally missed the context. And so here we are today and we're taking scripture. And I'm going to give you one of the scriptures where I actually have to apologize because I didn't really think about it in its context. And it's in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And in that scripture, he says, I would that you were cold or that you were hot, but being that you were lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. And I was, I, it was something I had finally caught. Somebody else had given me a view of that. And the context was not that Jesus was saying that I would rather that you were a cold-hearted non-believer. And I've said that that you were a cold-hearted non-believer or that you were a hot Christian, but being that you're lukewarm. And the lukewarm, I think, fits. You're just kind of in between. That's, that doesn't change as far as it, and neither is what I believe hot. But the problem is, is that I don't think in any scenario that God ever calls and says, I would that you were cold. 
that that would be my mind and my design behind it. And they actually show in the history there were two there were two uh, communities or uh, cities on both sides, and one of them had the fresh, cool mountain springs, and the other was known for its therapeutic springs and hot springs. And both of those, basically, God was saying that cold, in its own essential way, there's times when cold has a refreshing purpose to it, and there's a design in the coldness. And so it's not a cold-heartedness toward God, it's bringing a refreshing to somebody that's been in the heat of tribulation or hardship. And so there's a reference to it. And then you go back in Scripture and you'll find places where in the Scripture it's talking about that the cold was a refreshing. And so then you have the hot that also serves a great purpose. Now I love that I've experienced the workforce in both the hot of the summer and in the cold of the winter. And when it's cold, you want something hot. And when it's hot, you want something cold. The reality, you both have a very specific and design purpose. And once we begin to realize that, that God says, I would rather that you were cold in a sense that you were serving me and a refreshing purpose or that you were hot and therapeutic and bringing healing, but not that you are lukewarm and you have no divine redemptive purpose to your life. And I was like, yes, I love the Word of God in context, even though I've probably spent a great deal of my Christian life preaching it out of context. But when you get it, you just embrace it and you love it and you follow with it. So those are just areas where if we just follow along in Scripture and just pay attention to the context in one part, interpretation and hermeneutics is so huge. And so that's objective truth, isn't it? So then eventually the person who's been preaching the opposite, if they let the subjectivity of how they've been preaching it for years and the pride of that be the neglect to follow it in its context, they're going to have problems with you. And so then all of a sudden you're like, I'm following in his context and you're an embarrassment to the Word of God or however you want to say it, and I just can't get along with you. We just can't walk step and step. And this is where the principle of love falls in place. This is why. Because it's not the debate that you're trying to win. It's the relationship you're trying to help bring back into a place with God. And Jesus said it well. He said, you... When you have a log in your eye, don't go and try and correct your brother that has a moat in his. Get the log out of your own eye and then go and bring the correction. And so, you know, well, my interpretation or my belief of this, and you stand on that, and that may be the log in your eye because it's your subjective, not the objective truth of God's Word. So a lot of us would just like to simply, I just want to read the Bible, ignore the history and the, the content and the context of the times that it was spoken in and just be just follow along with that. And that's just not going to be good enough. You're going to have to study the Scripture and know the, the history, the context behind it to get the proper understanding of it. So overcoming prejudice and bias and misconceptions. Treatment makes a way for truth. So... I've actually felt like this a lot of times. I actually had one guy years ago that I was working with that he told me, you know, I've, I've talked to many Christians, but you're the only one that I've talked to like this. I mean, and he, I mean, he spilled out all of his unbelief and his ways of thinking and all of that, and I just took it with stride and listened to one argument after another and just shared, 
I think, very simply some things in the Bible with him. And he just, I think, he liked it, and I enjoyed my time with him. But I think that there was a treatment there. And what's really unique about this story was, is these, there was three of these guys that I was working with, and they were from the LeGrand area, and we were all over in Milton Freewater. And I was the only one from Enterprise that was with them. And I don't even know how that happened. But anyway, that's how it worked out. And we were all working on a new job together, and these guys were pretty vulgar in their language. And so I just asked them, and I, I've usually taken it, let's say I've done it both ways. I've done it with the uh, just get it out there mentality, and I've also done it respectfully. And what I've generally found is when I did it respectfully, I got respect back. And so what I would say is I just if I didn't know their name, I'd ask them their name and I'd say, hey, Joe, could you do me a favor? Could you watch your language, please? And amazing how the reactions that I got out of that and almost never negative. And so these guys actually made a kind of, well, they were going to, at least two of them, one of them said that he was going to bet his paycheck and that he was going to expect these other guys to bet their paycheck on something to have to do with me. It wasn't until probably the end of the month that I began to realize what that was all about. And what it was, when I initially did that, they believed that I was one of those hypocrite Christians that I was going to mess up and I was going to say something foul and they were going to get the benefits and the rewards of that. And I was like, wow, I didn't know I was put on the spot. But I just, you know, not knowing that he waited till toward the end to unveil to me what the whole ordeal was. And evidently, at least one of them didn't bet his paycheck, which is good because that means that somebody had confidence in me. <laughs> so treatment makes a way for truth. That's just the focus of that thought is the way you treat somebody. If you're the respectful Christian, and this is the one that's just like down your throat Christian, I'm going to tell you if you're the respectful one, they're going to come to you. They're going to come to you. Uh And then the other part of it is, and this is just one of our human qualities, but we have to know this about ourselves. We don't force willingness. We invite it. So there's no way to just say, hey, look, this is what it says. Live by it. And we're totally navigating away from the will of the person. The truth is, is that all of us go down a path to say, you know what? I just need some convincing. I need something that stands out to me that actually moves and motivates my own heart and my thinking. And sometimes it's not just the presentation, but the way the Holy Spirit ministers. And we really don't leave much room for the Holy Spirit to do anything. And we're like, Lord, if they won't listen to me, and I'm just going to just give them the Word of God and just blast them with the Scripture. And if they won't get that, then it's just like, there's no go. And then we're done with them. And we don't realize we didn't get on our knees and pray and let the Spirit of God give us intercession, deep, deep groanings for that person that we're wanting to see the Lord reach out to. And then behind the scenes, it becomes effortless. You're ministering and you say a couple words and they're already brought to the Lord in some way, just simply because the Holy Spirit's been behind the scenes. And so, but the reality is, is that the Lord didn't force their willingness either. There is something of the impressions that the Lord lays on the mind. And I can say this, that I love those times when the Lord gives me in my time of prayer, those impressions that are deep and vivid. And I'm praying for somebody and those thoughts and the way that the impressions that come over my mind are so revealing to me and they break my heart and they move me to pray in very earnest, very, very sincere and deep ways. And those moments are just God moments for me. And so 
that's how we invite willingness is that the Lord didn't force it. And I remember one of the big key secrets to intercessory prayer and prayer for others was this. And I got it from um, Charles Finney, one of the old time revivalists. But this is what he said was that the Holy Spirit, as long as you will entertain in your mind what the Lord in the moment is revealing to you, then he will give you so much of the spirit of prayer that you can that you can physically stand. And I remember that was a secret to me because there was times when I would get into that moment of prayer and I'd feel that the Lord was really ministering to me and I was just overwhelmed in the moment. And, uh, and so then um, something would distract my mind and draw my thoughts away and then it would go away. And, and it, it really speaks to me about the way that God is. is that the way God is is that He speaks to our mind, He ministers to our thoughts, but He doesn't force you to think in any particular direction. But we can draw our minds in the direction that God has put on us. And it's so beautiful to have the Lord waver a person before your mind. And then that person, just the, the thoughts that the Lord continues to bring over that person, just begin to break your spirit. And the Lord begin to move on your heart so deeply with this deep and earnest and holy love for them. And out of that love and tears begin to flow and you just can't control it. And then before you know it, the Lord's revealing promises in His Word that specifically deal with that person. And so for me, I'm like, isn't that all about God creating a willingness or drawing me or inviting a willingness in my part? And I believe really that's the reason why you see different degrees of maturity in Christians is because some people are way more willing than others. And that willingness invites you into the throne room of God. You want to know the Lord, you have to make time for Him and be willing to sacrifice and give up things so that you can be in His presence. So winning an argument versus freedom to investigate. You know, if I'm not here trying to win an argument with you or a debate, but just giving you freedom to investigate, ask me questions, tap into my life, find out if there's something. And sometimes your silence is the thing that people are drawn to the most. Why are you so quiet? There's something you're not saying, but I feel like you should be. And so sometimes it's the invite of a silent person. But the reality is... I want you to feel the safety and security of being able to ask or say anything in my presence and say, I feel like I can share anything with you. And that has been one of my greatest joys to have a few individuals say, you know, I, it's like I can confess or say anything to you. Because the beauty of it is, is that I want them, and I know you do too, I want them to say, I feel a redemptive purpose of your life. And these things I don't want to say or question because I feel like everybody else says, don't doubt, don't doubt, that's evil, don't doubt. And really it is, don't let doubt stay unresolved. And if the question needs to be answered, that's the only way the doubt will be resolved. Can I please be there as an offering to you? And I, I've done this, you know, moving out of the work field a lot more these days than I have before. I've told the guys there, I said, I want you to call me. And I said, and what I begin to see was there's an opportunity here for me between me and my boss that this is the way I do things and this is what he does differently. And really frustrate the guy that's in the middle 
And this is what I told him. I said, I'm going to tell you what I'll do for you. I said, I will be here for anything that you want to know out of my life. And um, it's just, uh, I'm just telling you, you choose whatever you want. Um, I'm not going to tell you any way to do it. So if it were me, I might do it a different way. But I'm just going to give you the information and let you make the decision. That's what makes Christianity different from the Islam and some of the other religions, of course, is because you don't have the freedom to make the choice based on your understanding of that truth. And so praise God that we are the Lord's instrument to just invite you to investigate. Just take time. If you're hungry, you're going to ask questions. If you're interested, you're going to want to know. And as I share something with you and I'm well informed in what I know in my relationship with God, you're going to love to hear from somebody who knows what they're talking about. And so we don't have to just try and get them there because what you'll find is this. When there's somebody who has an unwillingness or an excuse, whatever it is, there's already walls and you cannot preach through those walls. You can't make them believe through their unwillingness. So you, somehow we have to tap in and break through the walls and bring about the willingness to receive. And when they see in you the anti-prejudice attitude toward them, even though they're an unbeliever, they're going to want to talk to you. And then you speak of things and then they listen and they love it. And so I think that truth is admirable. Truth is beautiful only to those who are willing who have open hearts. That's why in Scripture, in, in Acts, where it says Lydia, the Lord opened her heart. They didn't have an avenue until you got to that point in the Scripture. And when the Lord opened the heart, the Gospel had free reign into her spirit. And she was ready to receive. And that's what we're looking for, is how do I minister to a closed heart and bring about that openness there? And that's... That's the difference between trying to win an argument versus the freedom to investigate. And let us just be those. that If you want to investigate, you can. And if you don't want to investigate, I'm not going to push. And when you're ready, then, you'll, then it'll be sweet. Then I can sow seed on good ground. And it's going to produce something because your heart's open. And the Lord doesn't force an open heart. He just woos a, a heart that's closed until it does become open. And so I, I heard somebody say this, and it really hit me, that the Lord's reason for doing miracles, it didn't start with you believe, and then you'll see a miracle in many instances. Many instances, the Lord did a miracle, so he'd give you a foundation for your faith. And so I believe it goes both ways with God. For some of us, he's asking us to believe before we see it. But for the unbeliever, I think for them, they're needing to see why they're believing in it. And, and, and here, isn't it true? And I know it is of me. When I prayed something and God answered that prayer, it gave me more room to believe Him. It gave me more reason to believe Him. Like, Lord, You were so faithful. I can't believe You moved on my behalf the way You did. And now all that says is that He's an infallible, full, faithful, trustworthy Creator, God, Father that He is. And that's why I'm going to come to Him better than I came to Him last time. You know, if my sons ask me and I resist them, then they're not going to feel as confident that next time to come. But isn't it beautiful 
that when they ask, and they, my wife's laughing, I'm like, now you're going to say yes more often, right? <laughs> they come, and they get, they don't have the resistance, but they have the open hand that gives them the feeling that they can come more, and they can come with less reserve next time. And isn't that exactly what the Lord wants us as his children to do? Lord, you know my brother, or you know my sister, or you know the so-and-so, they're not saved. But Jesus, don't you remember last time that I prayed, and last time I prayed you moved so wonderfully in their heart and brought them salvation? I'm moved because of that last time just to come back for a fresh touch of the Lord to touch this person now just because of what you've done in the past. So all of his faithfulness stacks up as, as reasons for you to believe more. And I believe for the Christian who's seen more from God has, is more accountable to believe for more because they've seen more from God. Amen? So I want to close this time of our service and invite our worship team up. And I want to give you an opportunity. And I just want to ask you this question while we're taking time for you to consider whether you should just come to the altar or not. But have you been limiting God in some area of your life? 